As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and today it's a Bundesliga-centric episode. Bayern Munich won their 10th straight title, but all is not well in Bavaria. Dortmund have lost one big talent, replaced him with a physically smaller but supremely talented youngster. They have more changes on the way. There have been multiple managerial departures, unexpected relegation strugglers, and big clubs heading back to the league. So to break it all down, I'm joined by our friend and yours, currently in Germany, it's Manuel Weitz. Manuel, good to chat with you once again. Yeah, hey, how's it going, Tyler? Um, how's your day? How's, how's it over there in the States? <laughs> oh, it's not too bad. It's, it's a beautiful uh, Tuesday morning over here. It's a, I'm assuming, lovely Tuesday afternoon over oh. there. How has Germany been? I think we always, whenever we talk, you're usually uh, in Canada or you're on the road, but normally in, in North America. It's been a while since I think I talked to you while you were in Germany. Yeah. How is it to be over there? It's, it's good. Um, you know, our government in Canada has finally come to the census and allowing people to to come and go whenever they please, um, which means I can now go back home, see my yeah. family on a regular basis again, which is nice. Of course. Um, yeah. And, and you see your family, but it seems like you're also taking in a decent amount of football. It seems like you've been all over the country lately. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, I got here last Thursday um, and spent a couple of days with my family in Munich, um, where I'm from and where, where I have my second home. Um and then I went up to Leverkusen and did the final Leverkusen, like the final match day there. Um, when I planned this, I was hoping that Leverkusen and Freiburg were going to battle out for that final fourth spot. Um, as it happened to be, it was only Freiburg that had something to play for, right? But um, it was intriguing nonetheless. The last 12, 13 minutes of the game were very interesting because of the way the results went elsewhere, elsewhere, uh, mostly because Bielefeld were beating Leipzig, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which made it very interesting in Leverkusen as well. And um, then also following, of course, we, uh, all of us were also following what was happening in, in Stuttgart and what was happening in, oh, let, remind me again where Berlin were playing. 
uh, Dortmund. Dortmund. Yeah, Dortmund. Yeah. And um, of course, we were all keeping our eyes on that too. And so there was drama all around. The last 15 or 20 minutes were insane. There was so much happening. It was, it was a weird match day because for the first 70 minutes or so, nothing really was happening. And then it yeah. all happened all at once within 20 minutes in all the stadiums. And uh, so... <laughs> We had some interesting things going yeah. on. Yeah. And then, of course, the final, I did then the final match day. Um, and that one did work out quite well because I was hoping I would see Schalke. And obviously, they got promoted the week before, but um, they still had the Bundesliga, second Bundesliga title to play for. And you get like the mini Meisterschale, right? It's like a, it's like a downgraded version of the, the German championship for winning the second division in Germany. And, um, so I was hoping that to be there for it, and it worked out. They did win it. They did beat Nuremberg, and um, we had the what the Germans call a bloodsturm when the fans flood the field. And um, yeah, it was great. It was a great yeah. time. A really, really good. Really good photos. Really good images. I, I, I posted all of them, and I think people enjoyed them. Um, Sadi. Uh, what's his name again? The the crazy Schalke super fan who balances all his beers on his head and. <laughs> He, he actually came and uh, walked through the, the the media mix zone, the media zone, a couple of times. It was it was good fun. It was a good day. Nice, nice. Well, let, let's start with some of those teams you mentioned there at the end. Let's keep keep going with Schalke for a moment. How much stronger will they be the next time they play in the Bundesliga compared to the last time they played in the Bundesliga? Mm. Yeah, it's a difficult situation for them. I did actually um, write an in depth uh, article for Forbes on this, right? Because it, I do think it's quite intriguing. And, um, you know, just a couple metrics. They did manage to um, unload quite a lot of the depth. I, I think they went from a 220 million euros of depth to 140 million. So they're starting to clear a lot of that money. Um, but they did fall out of that. There's that Deloitte Football Money League ranking every year, right? Where they rank mm-hmm. the, the 20 wealthiest teams in Europe. And obviously they've fallen out of that. And when you take another metric from Transfermarkt, uh, their squad value has gone from 134 million to just 34 million euros. So, you know, there's a lot of capital that's gone lost in, in that one year in the Bund- in the second Bundesliga. And uh, it was interesting to see, to talk to both Ruven Schröder, the sporting director, and Mike Biskins, the interim head coach, who will be the assistant coach again next year, about this post-game. And um, Mike Biskins said, uh, Schalke will not be the same Schalke they were when they were, got relegated because obviously they're now a second division team getting promoted. And it's a big gap between who they were and what they are now. And I think there's a lot of work ahead of them in terms of building a team that is A, affordable, but B, also competitive, right? And you see that with, with some of these teams that go down. It, it takes some time to repair the damage done. And I think that the next year for them is going to be quite crucial. And I think it will be only about survival. Um, that's the only thing that they can hope for. You see that with Stuttgart, how hard it was them for them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the Bundesliga is is cruel in that, that it's only 18, but rather than 20 teams, like it is the case in all the other major European leagues. And so that's two spots. That's, that's 10% less, right? And that means you will always have one of the big teams not in the league. Uh, it's just the reality of it. And so Schalke, I think, are going to face quite a difficult task next year. Who do you think will be uh, on the bench as their manager next year? Because it's strange to have I a team asked. win the league 
and sacked their manager a couple months before that. They have the interim manager. I'm wondering what that kind of situation is going to be. It's a very good question. Um, we asked Ruven Schroeder after the game, and he said that they have a clear profile in mind, but uh, and they have a favorite in mind, but the, that favorite... Um, it's not far enough for him yet to actually make an announcement about it. Um, one of the journalists wasn't me. Uh, I wouldn't dare ask a question like that ever. <laughs> asked uh, whether it was close enough for them to announce it during the promotion party. And he said no. And they didn't. And they still haven't announced it yet. And I, I'm not sure. I, I really don't know. Um, they are running a very tight ship at the moment at Schalke uh, in Gelsenkirchen. And I mean, good for them, right? Uh, it means that a lot of the, the things that hurt them in the past uh, are staying behind closed doors. And that's very important when you're talking to um, to someone who maybe when it's sensitive too, right? Um, that you don't want to have it leaked too early. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but I think it's going to be someone who is going to be able to develop not just this team, but also make hard decisions about some of these players that were heroes, right? during the promotion year, but maybe are just not equipped to play in, in the first division. And um, it's a difficult task. And it's a difficult task because I would say it's Chalka, who are this historically yeah. huge team, as you mentioned, they're in those Deloitte ratings, but now they've fallen off. And I guess what I'm wondering is when, when you're thinking about the profile of manager that you would expect them to go for with Schalke back in the Bundesliga, do you think it will be more of a known name, somebody that we have familiar familiarity with because it's Schalke, because they have that profile? Or do you expect it to be somebody less known because though they're Schalke, they don't really have the money behind them the way they used to? I think they still have the, the power to attract someone with a big name, but I don't think they are going to, I think they're going to, to get someone who is a little younger mm -hmm. um, and is willing to work with the academy players too. Um, because that's the pathway, isn't it? That that they're going to promote some of these um, younger guys that are coming up and um, form a team of players that, you know, can increase the market value without actually <laughs> investing in it because there's no money. Um, and, I, I really don't know. I, this is something that I can't read and there's so little information and there's the, they, they are so small lipped about it that um, I think if I, I would, I would have to guess and I don't even have the capacity to do that at the moment. But I, I, I would, I think it's going to be someone younger, maybe someone like Sandro Schwarz who showed a work with in, in Mainz, right? I'm not saying it's him, but it could be someone like him. So it feels like we're getting a sort of return to normalcy of sorts because coming out of this fight to Bundesliga, we've got Schalke as your champions, Werder Bremen will get promoted, and then Hamburg goes into the relegation playoff. They're playing Hertha Berlin. Uh, to, to my understanding, that relegation playoff tends to favor the Bundesliga team, and I think historically it, it tends to be the Bundesliga team that stays up. What are your expectations for that game uh, or for that two-legged affair between Hertha and Hamburg? Oh, it's going to be such a fascinating game. I'm actually in Hamburg for it. I'm flying to Hamburg tomorrow. I'm not at the games because um, I'm going I'm going to the office. Our Transfermarkt headquarters are actually in Hamburg. There's going to be a lot of nervous people in the office, Tyler. Um, <laughs> there's a very, um, I mean, because it's a North German-based company, I think our office is about 50% 
uh, I wouldn't say it's 50. It's maybe 40% HSV, 40% Werder Bremen, and then 20% uh, St. Pauli. Um, and then, of course, all the other fan groups sprinkled in there, like people like myself. Um, but I think that there's a large percentage of people um, in my office who are going to be pretty nervous um, about about this promotion relegation playoff. Um, they're playing the first leg in Berlin and then the second leg in Hamburg. Um, as I said, just doesn't quite work out for me with my office time up there. I wish it was the other way around. It would have been great. Um, but my expectations, ah, there's a storyline there too, right? Because Felix Magath is a, is a Hamburger SV legend and he now coaches uh, here at the Berlin. And um, it's interesting that the, that he is the one who could potentially stop them from being promoted once again but then there of course the other side the flip side of this is um it could be it could be felix Magath, who hamburger is foul sent to the second division um with Hertha, and that's that's an intriguing intriguing storyline itself and then of course it's two big clubs um that's that's another thing i mean both those teams by rights should be bundesliga sides um again we only have 18 teams and we have some slots taken up by teams that maybe shouldn't be there, but that's a different story. And so we have this this situation um, where one of the two big teams will go down. And I personally, I personally hope that Hamburg go back up because Berlin have a perfectly good Bundesliga team. It's just not Hertha <laughs> and Hamburg. And I read this. This is a crazy stat, uh, and I didn't notice there was a really long uh, interview with uh, Johannes Ball, the sporting director of Hamburg, as far on the Süddeutsche Zeitung that I read on my trip to Nuremberg and um, Hamburg is the only metropolitan area with a population over 1 million people without a first division site in the entire European Union. Wow. All right. So we yeah. need Hamburg back up to, to bring uh, parity and a balance of power. I have questions for you about Berlin, but first with Hamburg, who are the players that you think could be instrumental in winning that playoff and getting them back to the Bundesliga who have been their sort of standout performers this season? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is the thing with Hamburg as well. The, the turnover was so high, right? And mm-hmm. um, I think people that haven't followed the, the team, they, they will take a look at the squad and say, woo. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, guys, like, there's some there's some promising players like Ali Du, who's going for, to Frankfurt, for example, um, who because of that hasn't really played a big role. Uh, Robert Glatzel stood out with 22 goals. Sonny Kittel is another one. Um, you know, those are the kind of players that that you that you want to perform. Uh, Bakari Yatta is another one, and was in a situation where the the, the police and uh, Germany's largest newspaper, the Bild, um, claimed to have discovered all sorts of things about his original identity, right? That he, because he is a refugee player and they claimed that he was actually older and that he had a different name and uh, none of this was substantial, um, as it often is the case with the Bild Zeitung. And uh, Joshua Wagnermann is another one, another very talented uh, young winger. So, you know, it's it's interesting how this team has gone from from a club where we pretty much recognized a lot of the guys to who? <laughs> yeah. Who's this guy? <laughs> Wait, can we go back to uh, Bakari uh, Yatta for a moment? What, what's the story there? Because I've missed that entirely. So it's it, the gist is basically he was accused of being a different player than he was presenting, yeah. but then it was confirmed that he was indeed the person he said he was. 
it that's pretty much the gist of it um <laughs> i mean this investigation is still ongoing the the Bild Zeitung in Hamburg is on a little bit on a witch hunt there, uh, claiming that he is, uh, this is also, a, I think, a former play agent in Africa who was claiming this as well, mm. that he's actually a different guy and because um, he, he fled from the Gambia, right? Mm. And, and we know the stories. There's always um, identity confusion is often a part with, with these players who, go through these very difficult situations of of escaping their country and um you know arriving in 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 Germany or other European places. And we had the situation in Stuttgart that we mentioned on the last podcast as well, right? With mm-hmm. um and um in his case there is no substantial evidence and the DFB and the, the German government have said that his passport and his birth certificate, etc., are all legitimate. But it does bring in a lot of noise when you yeah. are a club and you're battling this on top of, you know, or the because Hamburg is, is a big club. And, and if you battle this on top of all this other stuff that you're battling that comes with a huge membership club like HSV is anyways. And um, yeah, it's um, an unfortunate side effect of, mm-hmm. I think, the, the refugee crisis that we had. But uh, in my opinion, in, you know, the, the documentation and the, uh, um, the investigation was quite clear that Bakar Yatta is who he is. Who he is. Mm-hmm. And I do think the case, it looks like, has been dismissed at this point, but maybe I'll do some more reading on that one because it sounds fascinating and very frustrating and sad all at once. I mean, we had, in fairness, we had instances where it did go the other way too, right? Yeah. Where the identity yeah. theft was leaked. Um, you know, Stuttgart's Wagamant, Magamituko is a good example and I once again forgot his real name right now because he just goes by Silas when he plays for VfB. So Silas is a great example where the agent um, almost held like a sword over his head and he had to actually needed police uh, police security. And uh, they did this entire, they revealed his real identity after his ACL surgery and then the DFB gave, did give him a match ban, but it was it was, it was was put in a way so that it would coincide with his injury anyways, Right. Um, but you know, these things do happen. Wow. All right. I'm going to take a moment to think about that. So will our listeners, we're going to take a moment to hear from some sponsors. We'll be back to talk more Bundesliga with Manuel Weiss from Transfermarkt. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash Quartzside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We are back, uh, Manuel. We were talking about uh, Hamburg, the fight to Bundesliga. Let's talk Hertha for a moment. Uh, surprising that they find themselves in this position. Do you think they should be feeling confident, though? Do you like their chances overall, or do you think it is going to be uh, a bit too close to call? I think it's hard as fall is going up. Okay. All right. And what <laughs> does that mean for? 
the relationship as a weird way to put this, but the relationship between Hertha and Union or Union, because to my understanding, Hertha kind of historically, if not the more favored team, the more popular team, the one that played in the Western mm. League, got more attention, has more money, and yet it's Union who are uh, having the much stronger season. Are we seeing a sort of shift in the balance of power there, or is this I more of a so. one-off thing? All right. No, no, I think so, because the second year in a row that Union... Last year, they finished in the Conference League. This year, they are going straight to the Europa League group stages. And uh, we know the Europa League group stages. Um, we've seen with Frankfurt and Leipzig this year how far they've gone. Um, for a club like that, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. And, um, yeah. I, and I think when you look at the... There there was... Um, they did studies on this. And the Berlin inner city, more they have more Union fans now than Hertha fans. And I think this is this is an instance where... Maybe the second club is slowly but surely becoming Berlin's actual club, right? Um, and a bit, listen, Berlin is big enough to have two teams. Uh, make no mistake about that; it's a big city. But um, yeah, I think Union is, is such a well-run club. They're expanding the stadium. They have a proper soccer stadium as well. You know, soccer-specific stadium, something that Hertha do not have. And uh, knowing how construction works in the city of Berlin, if Hertha ever do plan and want start construction of a stadium, it's probably not going to be finished until the year 2066. So yeah. <laughs> all right, yeah, then. we all remember the story of the airport in Berlin, right? And how long that took. Um, no, tell, tell, tell me more about the airport. Oh, the airport in Berlin is a never ending story. Um, <laughs> it was supposed to open in 2010 and it opened last year during the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's perfect timing. That's what you want. By the time it was finally opened, uh, it was such a such a such a mess. Um, yeah, it's the city of Berlin um, is is an interesting test case for you know governments governance and what happens when you have three or four governing bodies uh, make decisions together. And I, I suspect that if Berlin ever builds a new soccer specific stadium, the chaos would be just as big as big as it was is going to be with Berlin Brandenburg Airport. B E R is the short. I'm flying out of it uh, for the first time on Sunday. If it exists. I'm not I'm well, not my entirely dad, sure. My dad it just does. flew out of there, so he says sure, it's sure, quite sure. real. It's a sure, quite sure, a real sure. place. <laughs> I'm just saying when you open an airport in the middle of a pandemic when no one no one is allowed to travel, well, that feels fairness, like a tree falling in the woods. In fairness, it was supposed to be open in twenty ten. All right. Well, that's fair. That's fair. But I am also I find that interesting because I think for people like Westerners, for people outside of Germany, there is that idea that like everything in Germany is precise and exact and the trains run on time and everything is precisely done a certain way. So to hear that a construction project has gone more than a decade over the timeline is a little bit surprising, but maybe also a good reminder that yeah, ultimately trains don't run on time humans. either. There we go. <laughs> See? All right. <laughs> I, I wasn't. Oh, I was an hour and a half late from my train in Nuremberg and the poor people that got in. Uh, and that train, I only caught because it was two hours late to begin with. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great for me. Um, it was not so great for the poor people that started in Düsseldorf because they arrived at their destination three and a half hours late um, in the heat, right? It's oh, like very hot this weekend. Too. I had no problem with it. I finished my article. I was like, okay, sweet. We're late. Uh, that means by the time I get home, I'm actually done with my work day. So I was okay with it. But <laughs> imagine you're actually traveling for pleasure and you, you have like dinner booked in Munich. And yeah, uh, no, the trains don't always run on time either. 
Union definitely running on time or the have been like these last two seasons. But am I correct in saying that they are sort of not maybe not the neglected club, but the one with historically fewer resources? Oh, yeah. uh, and if that is the case, how have they been able to have this big swing, this big turnaround to be where they are uh, today? I think that they're just a more tightly knit community as a club. You know, I mean, all most teams in German football are membership based. And I think that they as a community, as a membership club, the way they run, they're just a more tightly knit community. And uh, I think they've, they've just the way that they built their way to the team that they are now, they've done it in a very organic way. And um, it's very hard work. And, you know, by, by appointing a very good coaching staff and, um, also, I mean, the fact that the fans, for example, during the hard times helped to build the grandstand of the stadium, um, that's something that is, is a great story and has been, has been often told. But I think that that does really cement your place, not just in Köpenick, the part of Berlin that they're playing in, but maybe also in, in Greater Berlin. And um, I think that's really a bonus for them. And they do a very good job and uh, in terms of how they, they treated their resources and playing in Europe helps you attract players and playing in Berlin and playing in Europe helps you even more to attract good players and the, the players that they have attracted all have worked out and I think this is it's a good example of how you are able to construct a team and build it from the ground up and expand it because they are going to be become a bigger and bigger club in, in, in Berlin I'm certain um, while also staying true to who you are and what city you are playing. And I think that I, I, I'm, I am pretty sure that Union Berlin will be Berlin's number one club going forward. You know, Hertha, there's always going to be a place in Hertha and um, in the west of Berlin and the suburbs and all that kind of stuff. But I think as a central Berlin club, I think Union very much have that spot taken now. So good times for Union Berlin, less so for Hertha Berlin. What about for Stuttgart, who obviously stay up in very dramatic fashion in those final seconds, those final minutes uh, of their game? Was this a good season for Stuttgart, given that they do end up staying up? Is that sort of what success was at the beginning of the season? And, and yeah. how much credit should we be giving Pellegrino Matarazzo versus how much blame does he get for them no. being in this position? He's done a great job. I mean, this was a very, very difficult season. Um, I think, as I mentioned this a few times on this show and on mm -hmm. my own podcast, Game Pressing, I was certain they would not go down. Um, I was very certain they would not go down. I didn't think it would take until the third minutes of extra time on the last match day for them to do it. But here we are. Um, it was difficult for them in this first half of the season. They had many injuries. They had COVID outbreaks twice, I think. Mm -hmm. And that cost them a lot of points. And then you essentially, you, you, you're chasing, right? The entire season you're chasing. And uh, they they... What I thought on the final match day, when going into the final match day, they, they played so well against Bayern Munich. Um, they had a great performance against Bayern, and they should have probably won that game. Um, Kalajic missed um, a big opportunity to make it 3-2, and I think then they would have won it, right? But I, was, I just thought to myself, there's no way they're going to lose in the final match day. And if Dortmund play in any sense normal, then they will beat Hertha. Now, all of that didn't happen until the last 20 minutes, <laughs> but it did. Um, and, you know, that still, uh, still speaks for the quality of the respective sides. But I think that over the course of the season, considering all the difficulties that Stuttgart had, and they were not difficulties that they made for themselves. These were things that they had no influence on. 
I think that they did a fantastic job and they deserve to stay in the league because Hertha Berlin, through the entire course of the season, had a lot of problems, but most of them were made by themselves, right? And I think that Pellegrino Matarazzo, listen, to get them out of the situation, that's a Herculean effort. That's very difficult, very, very difficult. And um, it shows how good of a coach he is and how well he is connected to his players to make them believe until the very last second of a Bundesliga season that they can avoid the drop and not have to go into relegation playoffs, which are which are 50 50 mm-hmm. games yeah. right and especially now because we have no more away goal rule in it and i think for him for it, it was an incredible job he's done and you know listen stuttgart brings so much to the bundesliga too and i think that if anything goes normal next year they will be a challenger for the top seven they have so much potential in that squad it's unbelievable and um they just weren't able to get that horsepower on the field because of all the things that happened to the squad and uh, I think that um, we're going to see a very different Stuttgart side next year um, from the start to the end. So let's talk about that talent for a moment. Uh, they've triggered the option for Konstantinos Mavropanos from Arsenal. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that would have happened anyway, but it triggers with them staying up. Uh, what other deals do you expect them to do? Who are the names that you think will be so important for them next season? Who might they sell on uh, if they need to make a little bit of money to fund additional transfers? Yeah, I think that they are going to look to keep Thiago Tom- Thomas, the, mm-hmm. the kit that they signed from Sporting um, in the winter. It's been a great signing. Absolutely fantastic. Um, This is actually one of the reasons I really wanted him to stay up because I think he's going to offer the Bundesliga a lot. Um, Obviously, they they could lose uh, Sasha Kalajic. Um, He's been linked to all sorts of clubs, including Bayern Munich. Um, I think that was always in the plans, though. And from the money that they get for Kalajic, I think they're going to trigger Tomasz's... buy-on clause, which is, I think, around 15 million euros. And this kid is incredible. This this guy, I mean, he's he's so young and he comes into this league as a 19-year-old and, and scores scores important goals for them. Um, and I think in the end, it was four goals in 14 games, right? So that's that's pretty difficult for a young kid coming into a very difficult difficult situation. And I think he's he's probably going to stay now. Mafopanos is another one, I think. Um, it's great signing. They're going to keep him. Not sure they're going to be able to keep Borna Sosa. Mm. He's been linked to a lot of clubs as well. Uh, fantastic left back. Um, but, I mean, they've they run so well that I'm sure that uh, Minzlin Tat, the sporting director, uh, will find someone to replace him uh, and the others that will leave. And uh, I think we're going to get um, finally a full season out of Silas again. Um, you know, he's struggled with injuries. Um, throughout and um, yeah I think they, they're in a really good space if they were to move on uh, Kalajdzic to Bayern or elsewhere uh, I, I'm looking at transfer market listing uh, it's he is the uh, I think he has the highest market value of any Stuttgart player yeah. how much do you think they could realistically get for him and how much would they struggle to replace him they'll get 25 million for him okay they, I think that's pretty bang on um, talking to people that uh, know a bit about it, um, knowing what clubs are willing to pay, they'll get $25 million, um, if they're not able to extend this contract. I mean, that's also still in the talks, right? Hmm. Um, 
but you know i think tiago thomas that's going to be 50 million gone right there and then the Vincent Tutt is going to find some super highly talented player in a place that no one's ever heard of um, and turn him into a super Bundesliga player. Like he's done with Dortmund in the past, um, briefly done with Arsenal and now does in Stuttgart on a regular basis. So I'm I'm not worried about them replacing Kalajic. And they will obviously still have Pellegrino Matarazzo unless come, someone comes in with a, no, a big money offer. Stay. Yeah, but I he's, think he'll stay. We would assume he'll stay. But there are many Bundesliga clubs who do not have managers. Uh, let's run through those really quickly because I'm surprised by the number we already have who are going to be looking for God, a new and manager. I thought they actually learned from last year. <laughs> right? Like, because last year it felt like there was so many changes happening that yeah. there's no way we could have all that again. No way, and right. Instead, These teams will surely learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess Dortmund can feel confident knowing that at least uh, Marco Rosa is still there, whereas Gladbach, who replaced Marco yeah. Rosa, now are looking for another manager again. Who else is going to be on the market for a new manager? Uh, Hoffenheim fired Hoeneß today. Mm-hmm. Weinziel announced he's leaving uh, Augsburg. Um, Hertha will be looking for a new manager no matter what. Um, Wolfsburg too, right? Wolfsburg, yep. Uh, right, fully so. Fire Florian Kofeld. They shouldn't have hired him in the first place. Um, wow, that's a lot of clubs. Schalke will be looking for a new manager. Yeah. Um, so we've got all right. So it's Gladbach, Wolfsburg, Augsburg, Schalke. Who am I? It's half the league. league. <laughs> oh, and Hoffenheim. <laughs> it adds up quickly. And yeah. Oh man. Okay. So if you were a, a an up and coming manager and you looked at those clubs based on the kind of Squad they have, the finances behind the club, the stability of that club, where would you most want to go and where would you least want to go? So I think Gladbach are going to go with Lucien Favre. Oh. So we can All probably right. take him off the list. Um, wow, that's a good question. I think Wolfsburg would be quite intriguing. A small, mm-hmm. small club in, with, with small club in terms of media and but rich in terms of money. Um, with good players as well, really good squad. The Scott squad underperformed, unbelievable how bad they were this year. And they, they should not have been in the, the problem zone that they were in, um, which speaks, of course, for Mark von Bommel and uh, Florian Kolfer. It's a fantastic job that they have done with this team. Brilliant. Well done. Um, <laughs> you know, they have the same wage bill as Atletico Madrid. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, unbelievable. Right, it's unbelievable but you know I, if I was a young up and coming manager that's where I would go because you will have the resources you will have the players and you will not have to worry about uh, playing anywhere in Europe so you could just you, you could just dominate you can do a really good job in the Bundesliga finish in the top four right Um I think that'd be a very good destination. And uh, another one would be Hoffheim. And listen, I didn't think that they would actually... There was rumors about it. It's been debated because Hoffheim was on course for a European spot and then completely crashed out, right? And um, apparently there was what the Germans called zwischenmenschliche Probleme. So like in the human interaction element wasn't working quite well between the squad and the head coach anymore. And... But that's it, an interest. It's a well-run club. It's a really well-run club, and they have a lot of resources thanks to SAP, the software company, and Dietmar Hopp, the owner, right? And it, it's also an area of Germany that's quiet um, usually. And you, I think you can, 
it's a good place to start your career and sort of make your way as a manager. So I think Hoffenheim too. Um, all the other ones, I mean, Schalke, we talked about it. It's always the media is um, fully involved in everything that happens there. Hertha, if they stay up, very difficult place to work. Um, Berlin, um, very difficult. Um, what was the other teams that fired the head coaches? Uh, Augsburg, I believe. Augsburg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would never go there. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, why is that? Because I'm an 1860 fan. I'm not going to go to Augsburg. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Do you think, is that a an okay position to take over, though? Your, your sort of rooting loyalties aside, or do you think they might be yeah, in some trouble? No, I think they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Okay. There's, um, their president was also the investor, main investor, um, who's... Holds the entire club together through his investment company, and uh, David S. Blitzer bought and a part of the investment company. Right, he stepped down as president. Um, Hoffman is his name, and um, there's been a lot. Weinzierl stepped down because he wasn't on talking terms with the sporting director anymore. And um, one of the former players, Daniel Bayer, who was also in the decision-making position, also stepped down. And a few of the players have said that there's issues with the runnings of the club. Um, yeah, I guess it's all kind of coming apart there. Um, yeah. And it's not surprising me that much. Um, as I said, I'm, I'm from Munich. Augsburg is a suburb. And <laughs> it's just always, I always watch this with a little bit of suspicion because it's the sort of club that if the in, that has been pushed up by an investor and propped up that way and I'm curious to see what's going to happen over the summer, especially with David S. Blitzer's involvement. And um, he was, he says he wasn't, but I mean, where did they find the 20 million or 18 million euros it was that they paid paid for uh, Ricardo Pepe, right? Um, where did they find that money? It didn't grow on trees. You know, it's not like that they, they found this money out of nowhere and they were able to sign Ricardo Pepe. So I'm really curious how this entire construct is going to evolve over the summer and whether it's actually going to survive over the summer and what's going to emerge once we start into the new season. It's going to be fascinating to watch. And I think a lot of Americans are going to watch it because Ricardo Pepe is there, right? Yep. And I still think he made a mistake. He should have gone to Wolfsburg. Yeah, it feels like when Americans choose and to I play first. And I got taken apart for saying that. Did you? Because Yeah, because people were looked at like these two American kids who weren't really top talents and didn't work out there. And thought of thought of Wolfsburg just a bad at developing players. It's like, no, maybe these players were just not good enough to play in Wolfsburg. And if huh. people thought about that. And uh, yeah, I think that Wolfsburg as a whole is just a way better place for tele- the talent development. So you'd rather be Kevin Paredes right now than Ricardo Yeah, Pepe. of course. And I mean, Wolfsburg were very, very honest about when they signed Paredes. They said, like, he's not going to play much in the first half year. Yeah. And right. and he didn't. <laughs> but no, maybe, but maybe he didn't next. play much for Bayern in the first half year either. Look at yeah. him now. Yeah, very true. Very true. All right, let's, let's take one more break. Then let's talk a, a bit about Bayern Munich because they've been in the news. So to have Dortmund, more on both of those clubs in just a second. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Manuel, let's talk Bayern Munich. Uh, as I said in the introduction, they won their 10th straight title. It feels like things should be all very happy and everybody's used to winning titles and they strolled to, to their, to yet another uh, piece of silverware. But instead, we've got drama because of Lewandowski. What is the situation with Robert Lewandowski? How did we get to this point? What happens next? Oh, what happens next? Um, we can hold on to that one because I'm mostly c- curious for a player that's had the success he's had yeah. for so long. How have we come to this point where he is so, ready to move on? I'm, I was very, very lucky uh, to have Pavel Vukovic on the Game Pressing podcast, which will probably be around around the same time than this show. Um, and he wrote Robert Lewandowski's biography, and he had some really great insight about this entire thing. Um, mentioned some stuff that I really didn't have on the radar either. So it's really worth listening to. It's 45 minutes, just him and me talking about Lewandowski and his entire career and why we got to this point. Um, we don't have 45 minutes here, so that's why this is probably essential listening. But um, how did we get to this point? I think we got to this point through various reasons. I think that Lewandowski is a person who is very much driven by by breaking records and his personal success. Um, he's not a person who is married to a club in particular. He has he is he's actually it's actually uh, surprising. He is the number nine that has survived the longest at Bayern Munich, other than Gerd Müller, right? Uh, number nines usually get um, bought and discarded very quickly at the Rekordmeister. You look at Luca Toni, you look at. Uh, Miroslav Klose, you look at Giovanni Elba, you look at Mario Gomez, Mario Mandzukic, all these guys lasted three, four years and then were promptly sent away um, when the next new shiny thing arrived. Um, and in Mandzukic's case, of course, that was Lewandowski. And um, in the end of the day, Mandzukic was discarded. And then Lewandowski's last now for 10 years almost. You know, he's got over 300 Bundesliga goals for Bayern Munich. Broke Gerd Müller's record. And I think this is where, on his personal level, he feels like he's achieved it all at Bayern. And he wants to maybe achieve it all somewhere else before he retires. And then there is also the aspect that he feels as a Polish person, he's not being valued as much as maybe Brazilians and Argentinians or Portuguese players. And I think there's a truth. I think that those three nationalities in English as well, the English and every Latino name has a higher value in world football than names from Eastern Europe or Central Europe. And you see that with the Ballon de War votings, right, for example. Um, so he feels like that maybe by going to Barcelona, that will just give him that extra little bit of push to have something that can be marketed after his career and leave a little bit of a legacy. I'm not sure that's true. Um, I think that it doesn't matter if you play at Bayern or Barca or Real Madrid, I think the, the level is about the same. But 
I understand why he wants to try it. Um, and then there's also the fact that he wants to be appreciated by wherever he plays 100%. And um, I didn't notice Pavel pointed this out to me when, when in 2018 during the World Cup. And it was funny because Pavel and I spent some time in the World Cup together and we talked about Lewandowski just outside the Sochi doping lab, um, <laughs> actually. <laughs> and we chatted about this and about how he didn't think at the time Lewandowski would be back because he didn't feel appreciated at Bayern. And then Niko Kovac came in. And Niko Kovac, although he wasn't a good coach for Bayern, he fixed that relationship. And then Lewandowski was really close to Hansi Flick as well, his successor. The, the two were very close. And he doesn't quite feel appreciated by Julian Nagelsmann. So there's that. And then there was the whole, this all of this escalated when Bayern Munich started talking to Erling Haaland. And they did talk to Erling Haaland. They admitted this much, right? They made a late push to sign him and they didn't get him. Thank God they didn't get him because the international outcry of Bayern Munich signing yet and again another yep. player from Dortmund would have been enormous. And I, I, I think that those days are over because I think the top players playing at other Bundesliga teams now are too expensive for Bayern. But they tried anyways, right? And that's legitimate. They they have to try to one day Lewandowski is going yeah. to turn 34 this summer. That, I mean, we all know what happens. You know, he, maybe he can play another four, but maybe also someone steps on his knee next year and that's it. Yep. Um, and that's a reality. And if, if you are a club like Bayern Munich, you have to consider those things. But he was very offended by this. And I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back and he decided then and there that he will not renew his contract. And that's and, where we are right now. Right. He's not, he's not one going year to left, right? Yeah, one year left. And then the decision now, of course, is this is where we don't know what's going to happen next. Um, is Lewandowski going to stay at Bayern? The club has said yes. Without a doubt, he will stay. Lewandowski has said he wants to leave. Um, we know, of course, that Lewandowski, when he was forced to stay for Dortmund at Dortmund one more year, he won the goal-scoring title that year. You know, he's not a guy that uh, will stop performing just because the, the, the club does something that he doesn't want the club to do. But, yeah, I mean, um, Bayern Munich have the option to either sell him this summer for 40, 45, or whatever Barcelona, whatever money Barcelona can find, um, and sell him, um, and save the 23 million euros that they pay him in salary, and invest that, package of 60 something million into a new player or they lose him on a free and have less money to invest into a new player and with the year remaining with his age it does feel to me like there's a chance this is Bayern Munich sort of uh, positioning themselves to not sell so that they can demand a higher fee because ultimately like it seems like you would want to make a little bit of money uh, to then be able to reinvest that one, or is this just a we're Bayern Munich? No one can steal our players until we want them to go. Like yeah. I, I don't quite understand Bayern's position here, other than we want to hold on to an asset because he plays for us and he came in for a free. We're happy to let him leave for a free. Yeah, I, I, I'm. This is where I'm not 100 percent certain, and I think it depends um, whichever camp wins internally. A lot of the club, the club is still very much governed by Oli Hoeneß from Tegernsee, right? And Hassan is very much his his guy. Um, I think, I think it really much depends whether Oli Hoeneß's camp wins or what Oliver Kahn decides is the best for the club. And Oliver Kahn, of course, has said we're not going to sell him. 
And a lot of people thought, okay, well, that's it. They're not. But Oliver Kahn is also a guy who finished his career and then went into the, build a business that made him millions and then went back to Bayern Munich. Uh, I see Oliver Kahn as a, and this is, I find this fascinating because Oliver Kahn and Robert Lewandowski are very similar personality wise. Oliver Kahn was an individual playing a team sport. He put everything underneath his personal success, and uh, we called him the Titan, right, in German football. He's very successful as a player, and now he's back in this business. And I think if Barcelona come with a certain amount of money, he will make a cost calculation in his head, and that will be his decision. If it makes the club money, and if there's a successor available that can come in right away and compensate Lewandowski's loss, there he will he will sell. That will be his decision. But I'm just not sure whether Oliver Kahn is actually in charge enough yet to make that decision. So if Lewandowski stays, he stays. If he goes, we assume that they will look to replace him. But what are some other areas that Bayern will be looking to strengthen this offseason? What will Nagelsmann uh, want to do? Uh, we've got Nick Sula already confirmed to be leaving on a free, going yep. to Borussia Dortmund. Regardless of what happens with Lewandowski, we can leave that one aside. Uh, how will Bayern be trying to strengthen, or where will they be trying to strengthen? Well, they're sign, signing uh, Masoni from Ajax, they're signing Gravenberg from Ajax. Um, joke is, of course, they're also signing Sebastian Haller from Ajax, right? So, like, <laughs> they're becoming <laughs> FC Ajax Munich. Um, I don't know if Haller is the replacement. Um, I did a story yesterday on 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 Kalajic and Mani possibly coming in, right? And Mani being the name to replace Lewandowski and Kalajic being the positional player to replace uh, Lewandowski. Um, but we do know that Grafenberg and Masuni are very far. Masuni is pretty much done. It's just the announcement waiting for that. Um, Grafenberg, they're still negotiating the fee with Ajax. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult because Masuni is a free agent. They did want to sign Nico Schlotterberg, but haha, Dortmund beat them out to that one as, as well. Um, so I think they're still looking for a center back and they are looking for one big signing and that could be Sadio Mane. But do you feel like Bayern will remain in a, in a pretty strong position? It seems like Gravenberg and, um, and Masrawi alone feels like enough to kind of put them in a, in a better, better position. I don't know. I mean, we say this every year, don't we? That, oh, look at all these great mm-hmm. transfers that Dortmund have been doing. And I, they have, I mean, um, Adeyemi is a great transfer. Schlotterberg is an amazing transfer. Süle is probably the best centre-back that was available on the market. They got him for free. And um, from Bayern, which is... I, I still find that story astonishing that yep. Dortmund stole arguably Bayern's best centre-back on a free transfer. Um, good for them. Really good for them. But Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, so I do, I, I do think that... I'm not sure. I mean, you lose Lewandowski, you lose 35 to 40 goals a season. That's that's a sizable contribution. All right, so yeah. so Bayern, we're not quite sure, but they've done some business. They're going to keep strengthening, and then if Lewandowski leaves, then we're going to get maybe that, that big transfer to remind everybody that Bayern is still Bayern. But I'm with you that Dortmund seem like they're doing some smart business as well. And they're not uh, done. They're not yeah. even close to being done. Yeah, um, right, so let, let's. Uh, you talking about Dortmund? Not close to being done. Yeah, let's, let's talk about it then for a sec, because they've brought in Adeyemi, as you said, likely yeah. as the replacement for Erling Haaland. So no, you, you're saying no. He's not the replacement for Erling Haaland. Do you think they'll go for somebody else? Yeah. Ooh, who do you think they'll go for? 
I think they're going for Sebastian Haller or Hugo Iketike. And my understanding is that Hugo Iketike is, uh, is who they are more inclined towards. Their worry is that he's too young and Sebastian Haller guarantees them a certain amount of goals. Um, Hugo Iketike from Start Reims, of course. Um, Thank yeah, you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know who that very, is. <laughs> very talented player, but he's a project, right? Um, but I almost suspect now that Haller is in talks with um, Bayern that they might try to steal him too. Just to, huh. just to give uh, Bayern another royal middle finger. Because <laughs> that would be number three, right? That would yep. be Süle, Schlotterberg, and if they get Haller as well. And um, yeah, uh, Sebastian Haller, I think. I, I know it's Iketike or Haller, but one of those two will come. Um, and I think it's really just an internal debate now on who they're rather going to have. Because for, I think the upside with Sebastian Haller is that if he goes to Dortmund, that's his last destination, right? Yeah. You are not running the risk of him saying in three years, oh, I want to make the next step in my career. And I think that might sway a few people at Dortmund to say, uh, maybe we're actually going to see if we can find some stability here. So with that Dortmund stability, I, I want to stick with this idea for a second, because we do talk about them making big signings and seeming to be in a stronger position almost every single offseason. Yeah. But I'm going to do it again, because, yes, they've lost Erling Haaland, but we that felt like it was going to happen all along. So e yeah. even to the extent that like he ends up getting the send off and it seems like it's a bit more of a celebration that it is mourning his departure and that they've brought in Adeyemi, that they may bring in uh, Akatiti. Eketike? Eketike. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, there's, there's like a syllable in there that I'm missing. But yeah, uh, it seems like they've already kind of put themselves in a decently strong position. But then moving on, basically veteran players. Roman Berkey leaving for St. Louis. He's 31 years old. Axel Witzel out of a contract. He's 33. Marvin Hitz out of a contract, 34. Schmelzer retiring at 34. It does seem like some of the veteran players, the more maybe long-legged players, are are being allowed to leave or see where they end up elsewhere to bring in younger players because Adeyemi's 20, yeah. Schlotterbach 22, Sula 26, Lotka, goalkeeper from Hertha Berlin, brought in. He's 21 years old. They signed, what, I'll a 16-year-old as in jeopardy, well? apparently. Oh, okay. But then we've got yeah. 16 year old American coming in as well, right? Well, he's Icelandic at the moment, isn't he? Nah, we'll call him American though. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah, so, so is this a deliberate uh, tactic from Dortmund, do you think, to, to get younger and to sort of get this business done quickly yeah, and, and maybe annoy Bayern along the way? And, and more German as yeah. well, right? Like a lot of German national team players, three German national team players. Um, I think that's part of the strategy as well. And I think they're not, not done uh, beyond the, the center forward position either. I think. That they're they're currently working on signing Benze Baini from Gladbach, um, and I think they're going to bring in probably another fullback on top of that. Um, so there's a lot happening. Yeah, there's the a one, lot happening. The one name that I, I remain confused by is Dan Axel Zagadou, who also it seems like will be allowed to leave. He's yeah, only 23 years old. It's terrible. But, like, <laughs> what is it? What is it that you don't like about him? He's just um, not reliable. <laughs> you can't say terrible again. You got to give me something more specific. He's not reliable. Okay. Uh, he's not a reliable player. They might also lose Manuel Akanji. Mm. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if they sell him to Bayern. I don't. I I don't love that idea. But I guess if you're already bringing in a bunch of center backs, that's not 
the worst thing to happen. I think that Sule and Schlotterbeck, you bring those two in, you're going to make them play together, no? Mm-hmm. Do um, Bayern need more center? I guess they need more center backs, don't they? They need one. Yeah, they need, yes. they need um, a lot. It feels although, like. out of spite, Dortmund could just sell a country to Man United who also want him. So, you know, they're saying like, oh, yeah, you're not getting this guy either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think Leipzig will be doing uh, this offseason? Apparently a lot. Um I am I'm not sure what exactly, but apparently a lot. The 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 the, the, the story was that of course if they make the Champions League they're not going to sell Konrad Leimer and Nkunku. They have made the Champions League, so those two are staying. And then um they are planning to make Nkunku the centerpiece of the new Leipzig and the investment is going to be significant this summer. Hmm. And I have I don't know yet what it is going to be, but I I, I do think that if Red Red Bull says significant investment, they mean it. Um, and and do you think that also means Tedesco will will still be there? Do you like what he's oh, been yeah. able to do? Uh, Tedesco has done an incredible job. This team was 11th when he took it over. Yep. I mean, and there was at one point in the season where he was out point, outpacing Bayern and Dortmund, right? It didn't quite last. And I think there's various reasons for that. Um, I think that in the end, he took over a squad that just wasn't fit enough to play Bundesliga football. And um, catching up throughout the year, that was a very difficult thing to do. And I think they just ran out of <laughs> they ran out of Red Bull towards the end <laughs> of the season. And uh, a few things caught up to them. And But they still managed to, to, to reach the Champions League, right? Um, and they might still win the Cup next sun, Saturday. And I think if if at the end of the day, if they've managed to do those two things, that's a huge success, especially when you consider that they were 11th. So a, a huge success for Leipzig to finish in those Champions League places. The last club I wanted to ask you about, uh, since we're going a little bit long, not as long as we often do, but since you're <laughs> in Germany, you've got stuff to do. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, the obvious question, next season, will it be Leverkusen in third, fourth, fifth, or sixth? Because it seems like that's pretty much where they always end up. I think they've been in one of those spots the last like five or six seasons, maybe even beyond that one. Do you think Leverkusen could push on or do you think they will kind of stay in the zone uh, to which they've become accustomed? I, 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 I'm curious about Leverkusen too. I think that they have a very good team. Um, I had Simon Rolfes on our podcast at the start of the season. Simon Rolfes, sporting director, right? And I had a chance to actually talk to him on the weekend um, briefly um, he didn't mean to come to the mixed zone, but I, when I, I was able to see him, and then when we made eye contact, I yelled over, and he said, "Hey, how's it going?" And I actually got him on the microphone and got him to do a little story out of it, which was mm. great. And um, he seems quite adamant that Patrick Schick and Musa Diaby are going to stay, and that is big news for me because if they are actually able to pull this off, if they are able to withstand the market forces that are going to pull on both of these players, because Newcastle United really want Musa Diaby, right? And they're willing to pay all this money, uh, all the blood money that they get from Saudis. They want to spend it on Musa Diaby. And um, I'm curious if they're going to be able to withstand it. And then, of course, Patrick Schick is one other candidate at Bayern to replace Lewandowski. But I think if they're able to keep those two guys, they have a very good team. Um, they're going to sign that winger from Schachter Donetsk, Mudrik, 
who's highly taunted Ukrainian winger. Um, you know, situation in Ukraine, of course, is very sad at the moment, but they have a very strong history of Ukrainian players. Uh, Andrei Voronin was, of course, there. Uh, had a very good career at Bayer Leverkusen. And I think if they get him on top of that, that's uh, another great statement. I think they have two centre-backs, um, uh, who, in, in Kusunu and Hinkapie, who I think are very, very good. Um, and um, can make the next step in their development. Florian Wirtz will be back in late fall, um, probably in time for the World Cup. It's another very good player that they're not going to lose because he did have a nasty injury, right? And um, it'd be interesting to see who they're going to add, right? And if you add the right players, that's another... T- and I asked uh, Rolfes about this. Um, are you finally going to maybe push Bayern with all the upheaval that they have there? He laughed. Hmm. Uh, he didn't want to answer it. But um, I think everyone in Germany is thinking it. If they were to lose Diaby to Newcastle, like what would be what would Newcastle be getting? What do you think is the main reason why they're so strongly interested in Diaby? Yeah, because he's a fancy little object and they have all the money in the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's it? The fancy little object yeah, and we have all the, have money, all the money in the world? You don't really need to worry about it. You <laughs> okay. look at the stats and like, yeah, okay, top 10 score, uh, scorer and I mean goals and assists combined, right? In the Bundesliga, of course we want to sign him, right? Yeah, he's very good with the ball. He's finally learned how to pass. That's been my biggest pet peeve with Musa can't pass Diaby. He's finally learned how to pass the ball. Um, He's a very good in one-on-one situations, um, very fluent in between the lines, drifts a lot, um, very creative, fits in really well with the other forwards that they have at Leverkusen there, and um, fast, low center of gravity. Yeah, a wonderful player. Um, and he's finally added passing to his repertoire, and uh, I think that makes him very dangerous. And I think yeah. he's still at a stage in his career where his passing could get better and his shooting could still get better. And then you turn that he's already at double digits in goals and assists in the Bundesliga this year. And you just add a little, another 10% or 20% to that. And you have an unplayable player, right? All right. So Leverkusen hoping to hold on to their unplayable player as are what Leipzig and Dortmund and Bayern, I guess everybody trying to hold on to all of their assets for as long as they can. But if they don't, I'm sure we will have Manuel back on to talk about those transfers and many other things. We're heading into the off season, but we would assume there's going to be lots of activity and what? lots this to is keep the up off to date. Season? No, no, yeah, no. Right? This is the main season. Yeah, this is exactly. when all, everything happens. <laughs> I keep wondering how this summer is going to be, given that we don't have the World Cup in the summer. And oh. will there be enough to be discussed? But it seems like every day we're getting new transfer stories, new rumors, yeah. uh, new miss- new cases of potential mistaken identity or false identity so you never know i think we're gonna have plenty to discuss this summer but for now manuel thank you very much for taking the time i hope you enjoy getting to uh to traipse around uh the around germany some more and i don't want to take up more of your time than i already have so thank you so much for being here today yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, uh, and yeah, well, on that subject, you've talked about it a few times, but if people want to hear more from you or read more from you, how can they do so? Yeah, so I, I'm, I work for Transfermarkt. Um, most of my stuff is there. I also write five Bundesliga columns a month for Forbes. Um, you can find those on my Twitter, at Manuel Weff, so just my name. And yeah, um, we also, Stefan Bienkowski, who now were actually hired at Transfermarkt, so I finally have some help. Please read his stuff. He's very good. Um, so Stefan and I also do a Bundesliga podcast together called Gegenpressing. And we are now twice a week 
Very I know. Nice. We awesome. added a, we added an extra episode a week. Hey. Um, That's the so, way it goes. Eventually, you'll be five days a week, and then. Well, we both work for the same company now, so we'll just do it lunch, right? So it's a little <laughs> bit different. It's a little bit of a different setup because we're like, oh, like I usually do my breakfast break because I'm in Canada and he's in the UK, and it's like. It's just easier when you work for the same place because it's kind of like our work now, right? <laughs> and so we can justify doing an extra show because we have a good we we have sponsors now as well. You know how it goes. Yeah. All right. Well, congratulations. <laughs> That's awesome. That people should check out uh, the podcast. Should check out all of your work. But Manuel, for now, thank you so much uh, once again. Yeah. And just listeners, thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you all again very soon. Bye.